0: So what I would like to do this morning, I want to take a journey together through the Bible. And I want to look at a specific story and about what that can teach us about the character of God. Or more importantly, about the portrait of God or the face of God. You will see why that term is very important in just a few moments. But first, let me pray one more time before I get into our sermon, my sermon this morning. Father in heaven, thank you again so much for this privilege of being here. I thank you for everyone that is here, I pray for those who couldn't make it, and I just pray that for those of us who are here that you would pour out your Holy Spirit so that we can feel your presence among us and that we might learn something new about who you are. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Another thing uh, about me is that I, I love photography. When I was a little kid, do I have folks here who love taking pictures? Any photographers here this morning? one two two photographers three three photographers i love taking pictures when i was a little boy my dad used to take me out on these adventures at first i thought ah, oh, it's kind of boring you know as a little boy i thought i would like i'd rather be doing something else and but he said no rob i gotta i gotta share with you i gotta teach you how to take pictures because pictures are worth a thousand words you've heard the old adage right and i mean there's different things to take pictures of. Some people love landscape photography. They love to take pictures of uh, anything like the lake behind this church or, or uh, a beautiful street or trees. Anything like that. Any landscape kind of uh, photography. Some people like to take macro photography. Macro photography is basically uh, taking a lens and getting very, very close to a subject. Uh, like an ant or a flower where you can see the individual pollens uh, in the inside of, of that flower. Other people like to take nightscapes. Uh, a popular one nowadays is time-lapse or hyperlapse photography, where they leave a camera to stay out for a long periods of time and take pictures at intervals, and they sew it all together, and you can see a sunrise that would take hours in just a minute. It would be like a fast-forwarded uh, kind, of, uh, kind of picture. There's different things that people like to take pictures of. One of the things that I love, I've always loved to take pictures of, are people's faces. Portrait photography. And I'll tell you why. You can read a lot about a person by looking at their face. Think about what you can see just looking at someone's face, whether in a picture or in real life. You can tell certain things like, you can tell a relative age. You can tell what gender they are. You can tell uh, what mood they're in. Are they crying? Are they happy? Are they smiling? You can even see on their faces if they have some wrinkles or maybe a scar or two. You can kind of get a sense of what kind of a life they've lived. Was it hard? Was it easy? Looking at someone's face, you can get a message. And that message isn't spoken, isn't being transmitted without a single word it's just a message looking at someone's face there's a story about two brothers these two brothers had two very different faces from each other if you would read the story of the events of their lives they would give Hollywood and HBO a run for their money Let me give you some examples of some of the things that you would find in their story. You would find love, intrigue, lies, unfaithfulness, rape, idolatry, and adultery, polygamy, murder, war, and violence. The story of these two brothers is found in the Bible. Can anyone guess who I'm speaking about? Jacob and Esau, Jacob and Esau. We know their story well. Most of you here know their story. If you don't know their story, we're, we're not going to get into every detail uh, this morning. But it, you can read it in, in Genesis. But. There are a few interesting aspects to this story that I learned about that after I learned it, I can never look at this story the same way again between Jacob and Esau. And my prayer is that I can, as as we take this journey together this morning, I can share with you those things and hopefully if you haven't heard this before, you will never look at the story of Jacob and Esau again. And I want to take it one step further to say you will never look at God the same way again. You remember how Jacob deceived and lied to his father, right? He stole his, uh, his brother's birthright. And now he is on the run. He, There was so much. What he did caused so much tension in his family that he had to run away from his family and he run he had to run to his uncle's place what was his uncle's name laban's house up in mesopotamia he had to live there with no connection to his family for 20 long years can you imagine just leaving everything leaving your family leaving everything behind and going somewhere so far never to hear from your family for 20 years how would that feel like for you? And the Bible tells us why he fled. And there's a detail here. It is so interesting. It's such an exciting thing for me when, when I discover this. I started reading the story of Jacob and Esau. There's an interesting, uh, interesting part of this story, an interesting uh, word that appears here uh, that we're going to read in just a second. And it tells us why Jacob left. God is talking to Jacob, open your Bibles with me to Genesis chapter 35. Genesis chapter 35, it's been 20 long years. God is now reminding Jacob of why he fled in the first place. Genesis chapter 35, beginning in verse 1. I'm reading from the New King James Version. Genesis 35 beginning in verse 1. It says, Then God said to Jacob, Arise and go to Bethel and dwell there and make an altar there to God who appeared to you when you fled from the what? Face, in in the New King James Version, it says from the face of Esau, your brother. This word here is not translated in every version of the Bible in the King James Version I know for sure has it the New King James Version has it as well but it says the face of Esau your brother this word here face is so vital, is so important to this story. It is the theme of this story. It is the motif of the story. This tension between Jacob and Esau. And it's everywhere. I'm going to share some of those uh, with you this morning. And it might impact how you look at this story later on. Jacob was haunted by the face of his brother. Everywhere he looked, he was always wondering if If Esau came, if if he's coming to get him, he's haunted by that picture of his brother's face. And for 20 long years he ran. He ran from the face of his brother. And you know what happened during the years. For those of you who recognize the story, you know that those years that Jacob ran were not good for Jacob. He struggled during those 20 years. And now after those 20 years, he's on a return journey to see the face of his brother once again. And you know, if you know the story, he's not just walking away. He's being chased out by Laban, his uncle. You can read that story in Genesis chapter 31. God ends up interfering there. Uh, Long story short, he ends up Uh, you know causing a reconciliation between Jacob and Esau and Jacob can finally uh, Jacob and Laban Laban, sorry so Jacob can finally uh, return to his homeland but in order to return to his homeland he knows and he's dreading it he knows I have to see the face of my brother again God reassures him. In chapter 32, you find a time when Jacob on his journey home uh, is encamped with angels and that gives him courage. So what does he start doing? He says, I'm going to start sending messengers in front of me to my brother Esau. And it's funny how in the interactions that he has and the messages that he gives to the messengers to go, he always refers to his brother as a master, as Lord. He refers to himself as a servant. He never calls Esau his brother. So you can start to see what he's, what he's feeling, the emotions that he has. And he's telling his, his brother, listen, I don't, have, I don't need anything. I have everything I need. All I want to do is just come home. That's all I want to do. I want to live among my family again. Let me come home. I don't even want an inheritance. The messengers that went and gave Esau this message returned. We can read what their response was in chapter 32. Turn with me to chapter 32 verse 6. Genesis chapter 32 verse 6. Then the messengers returned to Jacob saying, We came to your brother Esau and he is also coming to meet you. Good news, right? Oh, but there's an and there. And four hundred men are with him. You can see why the next verse starts like this. So Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. Of course he would. What would you do if you knew that you were going to see a brother? You don't know how he's going to react when he sees you. And then you find out, oh, by the way, there's another 400 people coming with him. Do you think that's a welcoming party? I don't think so. His mind is starting to race. And then we see what he does. He is afraid and his human nature kind of kicks in. As many of ours does in in, in stressful situations. And he begins to divide. That's what Jacob does. When he is afraid, he begins to divide. You will see that many times in this story. That's his human nature. He begins to divide. He begins to divide by dividing his family into two groups. Remember, let's look at verse seven, uh, I mean chapter 32, verse seven, the second part, which finishes by saying, "And he divided the people that were with him, and the flocks and the herds and the camels, into two companies." Verse eight. And he said, "If Esau comes to the one company and attacks it, then the other company which is left will escape." It's human nature coming through. Now let me ask you a question this morning. Who would you put in the first group? And who would you save to put in the second group? The Nazis used to play cruel games like this. In Auschwitz, when they would capture Jews, and if a mother showed up with two children, they would come to a point at the outside of the camp and they would force the mother to choose which child is going to go to the left to the camp with her and which child is going to go straight to the gas chamber absolutely cruel what human nature does when it kicks into overdrive who would you put in the first group if you were jacob THAT IS NOT AN EASY DECISION. WE KNOW WHAT JACOB ACTUALLY DID. HE PUT RACHEL AND JOSEPH, HIS PRIZED MEMBERS OF HIS FAMILY, IN THE BACK. HE PUT THEM IN THAT SECOND GROUP. AND HE PUT HIS MAIDS AND HIS SERVANTS IN THE FRONT. AND SOME SAY, YES, THAT IS VERY CRUEL. Because he knows, well, if he is met with the 400 and they attack that first group, at least he has his family saved in the back and they might have a chance to escape. You see this human nature just dividing, 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 but then he does something better. We read from verses 9 to 12, the Bible says that he prays, finally, (laughs) you think, He is a man of God. He knows God. You would think that he would have prayed first. But now he starts praying after he decides to divide his family. And I want to tell you here this morning, you don't have to wait until you're knee deep in a situation to pray. Pray first. And I know that's hard, especially for young people. The world around us is is telling us, listen, fix your problems. Do it yourself. And it's really hard to step back when you're faced with a difficult situation and say, okay, okay, I'm going to stop what I'm doing, and I'm going to ask God first what His will is. And it's even harder when you take that step, even when you take that step, to sit back and wait for a response. It is not an easy thing to put your life, to put your plans, to put everything you have on hold and put it in the hands of God. But let me tell you something here this morning. It is the best place you can put your future and your plans and your hopes. And Jacob finally gets it. And there are three things in his prayer that I want to touch on. Again, we're not going to go through it because there is far too much to get to. Good stuff coming up. But I want to just touch on his prayer because I think his prayer is very important. And it's kind of a model for us to follow. He says in verse 9, he humbles himself first in verse 9. He feels really unworthy because he realizes that God has been so good to him. Who am I to deserve the things that God gives me? Have you ever stopped to think about that? The fact that you're here this morning is not an accident. God ordained this moment for you to be here right now in this place at this point in history. Have you ever stopped to think about that? That humbles me. Why would He choose me to come to preach at Belleville? I know that somehow this is in His plan. And I hope it's a blessing to you as much as it is for me. But God has a plan. Are we humble enough to recognize that God is in control and He gives us the things that we have? Number two, He is vulnerable. He's not afraid to admit that He's afraid. Again, this is a tough one for humans to to admit. To stop and say, I'm afraid. I don't know what's going to happen and I am literally afraid right now. I'm scared. Because again, we're taught that the strong survive. You have bad news from work, from the doctor, from your kids. You have to be strong. And sometimes life gets at you and 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 sometimes it's good to just sit back and admit, you know what? I don't know what I'm doing, and I'm really, really scared right now. And Jacob is doing this. He is both humble and he's vulnerable. He's making himself vulnerable to God. And number three, he claims the promises of God. He knows he is unworthy. He knows he's afraid. But he says, look at this, verse 12. Chapter 32, verse 12. It's a sermon in three words. For you said... He remembers what God promised them. And he says, for you said, he's talking to God now, I will surely treat you well and make your descendants as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered by by multitude. Sometimes it's good when we are humble and, and, and we're afraid to just call on the promises of God. But you won't know what God's promises are unless you read it. And I encourage you to get to know the promises that God has given us. And claim those. Unfortunately, after this prayer, you think that Jacob is on a high. He is... Nope, he starts dividing again. His humanity kicks in. And he just reverts back to what he's done. Verses 14 and 15. And the story says... um, He starts dividing his... his, um, His livestock as gifts to his brother. His riches. And it's not a cheap one. Verse 14 says, 200 female goats, 20 male goats, 200 ewes, 20 rams, 30 milk camels with their colts, 40 cows, 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys, and 10 fowls. This is not cheap in those days. And Jacob remembers when he left Esau... All he had in his hand was a staff. And now look at all the things that God has blessed him with. And he's dividing these now. And he's trying to send it ahead of himself. So, I'm not going to tell you. Because we're getting to that in just a second. But there's a reason why he's doing this. But God knows. He knows. God knows what his true motives are. Night falls. And Jacob has done everything he can, he could think of. He's starting to think, he's trying to think outside the box, things that he can do to kind of soften up his brother. And the next verse shows, in verse 20, that God knows his intentions, knows his motives. Look at verse 20, it says, And also say, Behold your servant Jacob is behind us. This is the message that he's sending again with his presence to his brother. But listen to the next part where it begins, For he said, For he said, I will appease him with the present that goes before me, and afterward I will see his what face. Perhaps, he will accept me. How many times is our theme word being used in this verse? How many times? Let me read it again. Verses 20. For he said, I will appease him with the presence that goes before me. And afterward, I will see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. How many times did I say the word face? Once. Can you believe? Okay, I, I was taught when I was growing up in school. That when you're reading a story, when you're reading a book. One of the things that, that authors use to get a point across. To make sure that you're understanding a point. Is by repeating a word as many times as possible. And in the original language the Bible is written in. In the Hebrew language, this verse has not one time. The word face is not used just one time. It's not used twice. It's not used three times. It's used four times. There is a reason for that. And I'm going to read it to you right now. What what it should sound like if we were to translate it literally, word for word. Straight from the Hebrew, straight into English. This is what it would sound like. So remember, the context is Jacob is trying to send things to Esau to kind of soften him up. This is what he says. I will cover his face with these gifts that go before my face. And afterwards, when I will see his face, perhaps he will lift up my face. For times in one verse the word face is used. Do you think that there's something important here for us to understand? Absolutely. So what was he thinking when he was sending those gifts? He was trying to Cover the face of Esau. He was afraid that he was going to see an angry face of Esau. And he was trying to cover it to change it, to mask that anger. Hopefully, with the gifts, he will change the face of Esau from something angry to something happy. Night falls. Jacob is alone. And suddenly, you know the story well. He is met with a stranger verse 24 says then jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day typical wrestling match today is between three to five minutes i spoke to uh, the church that i grew up in cambridge church uh, had a uh, gentleman who was really big from uh, czech republic and he he was a champion wrestler. He was big. I would never want to meet him in the back alley. But he was, he's big. And he's won gold medals in wrestling. And he said back when he was wrestling, back in the days in Croatia, he, their, their wrestling matches would be about eight minutes. But he said by the end of eight minutes, you are exhausted after eight minutes holding on that tight. And here we have Jacob wrestling with this stranger. Not five minutes. Not eight minutes. Not an hour. All Night, he's wrestling with this stranger. Isn't that interesting? There's there's something interesting about this word again. Because in the pictures we've seen, I don't know if you've seen it. But it's typical, we've seen a picture of Jacob wrestling the angel or Jesus or God. And he's kind of holding hands with him. And it's just kind of this push and pull, kind of tug of war. Who's going to win? You don't know who's going to win. Again, going back to the original word here, this word means much more than that. It means to embrace, to intertwine, and to get dusty. So I want you when the next time you read this portion of scripture, I want you in, the, in your mind to picture two men wrestling in the dirt on the ground, pushing, shoving, elbows. I mean, you name it, they are wrestling. in the. This is not just a stand-up kind of push, back-and-forth kind of an argument. This is a full-on wrestling match that happened for the entire night. And the longer that Jacob, we read, the longer he fights with this stranger, the more he realizes that this wasn't just an ordinary man. It is important to understand here that Jacob... Was not wrestling against God. Jacob was wrestling with God. There is a fundamental difference. Between wrestling against God. And wrestling with God. I say if you want to wrestle with God. Go ahead. It's a good thing to wrestle with God. It's not a good thing to wrestle against God. You will lose. (laughs) I'm telling you right now. But to wrestle with God, and I'll tell you why. When I was a little boy, growing up, I didn't like to wrestle. But sometimes, let's face it, when you're walking on the street or you get among your friends who are rowdy, and you know, they're gonna get you in a headlock. Okay, they're just—it's just bound to happen. And I would be kind of trying to get away. Oh, come here, Rob! And they would grab me by the neck, and I would be like right here under someone's arm. And let me tell you something. There are some interesting things that happen when you're under someone's arm. You can smell things, but you're, get this, you're so close to someone when you're that close to them, you can hear their very heart beat because your ear is pressed up against things. By wrestling, by, beside the rib, by wrestling with someone, it places you in the closest possible contact with that person. And when you wrestle with God, it is in those moments you think that He is far away from you. When in, actually, when in fact, He is the closest to you that you can ever imagine. And here Jacob is wrestling not against God. He is wrestling with God. And only after wrestling with God, he is willing to finally surrender. Because before this moment, he was always trying to be in control. Jacob never wanted to lose control. He wanted to seize. He wanted to grasp. He never wanted to let go. Even his name means one who what? One who grasps. Because of the way he came out of the womb. From his birth he was a fighter. And now he's fighting for his life. He's fighting for his family. And he realizes, wait. Why do I keep fighting? Why don't I just take a step back and just... Surrender. Now as he wrestles, he realizes more and more. As the light begins to break over the horizon. That the person who he's wrestling with is, is divine. And it is God who finally breaks the silence. When he says to Jacob, let me go. It's time. We've been here all night. You're tired. You need to let me go. And Jacob... Responds by saying what? I will not let you go. Until what? Until you bless me. The stranger is very kind to him. But he is no longer a stranger to Jacob. Jacob realizes who he's wrestling with. And he knows that it is God. And that he knew that he's been developing this relationship with him his whole life. And now Jacob is asking for a blessing. A blessing for what? What does he really need? What is Jacob really after? What does he want so bad from God? I have a couple of ideas. I think that he needs the assurance of forgiveness. He messed up a lot in his life. And he wants to know that God forgives him. I can imagine that he wants the assurance salvation this is Jacob's struggle he needed the assurance that God is with him that he didn't leave him that he's not just walking into a trap and then God asks him a very strange question remember what the question was he says I will not let you go until you bless me and does God ask him what's your name have you ever stopped to ask why would God ask Jacob, what is it? Did he not know who he was wrestling in the middle of the night? Why did he ask Jacob, what is your name? Of course, this is an illusion. Let me ask you a different question. When was the last time before this moment that Jacob was asked, what is your name? What was happening? What was he doing when he was asked, what is your name? I'll give you a hint. His father was asking him, What is your name? Who are you? And what was he doing? He was pretending to be his brother Esau. He was grasping like he did from birth. Grasping away that title, that blessing from his father. He was, that's what he did. He was always trying to grasp something for himself. And he lied to his father. About who he really was. He wasn't able to admit he was a liar and a thief and a stealer. And a grasper. Always trying to grasp something. But here, he changes his response. He is no longer lying. He is willing to face who he truly is. And he tells God, my name is Jacob. And back in those days, I mean, here we have our names. I would tell you, my name is Robert. But in those days, your name had a meaning. So by saying, my name is Jacob, he's admitting, I am a thief. He's telling God, he's being vulnerable. He said, I am messed up. I'm willing to admit that now. And that's when God really, truly blesses him. Because he sees, you are ready to admit who you truly are. Now you're ready for me to bless you. And God blesses him. He changes his name from Jacob. He says, your name is no longer Jacob one who grasps and steals what is his name his name is changed to israel and what does israel mean it means one who wrestles with god after this struggle after this blessing that god gives jacob he just disappears and now jacob realizes wow I was in the presence of God, and he names the place a special name. Does anyone remember what the name is of the place? Yes, someone said it. Peniel. That's right. And I wonder if you know what Peniel means. Panim in Hebrew means face, and El means God. Peniel means the face of God let's read verse 30 together i think personally this is one of the most beautiful verses in all of scripture listen to this chapter 32 verse 30 so jacob called the name of the place Peniel. and listen oh he said i just every time i just makes me smile every time i read this verse for i have seen god face to face our theme remember what this whole story is about It's coming out right here, and it's not done yet. But look at this. For I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. How many of you would like to see God face to face and live to tell the story? I would love to see God face to face. I wonder what I could see on the face of God without saying anything. I would love to see a picture, a photograph. A portrait of God's face. And here Jacob not only sees it, he was there in his presence. He sees him face to face and his life is preserved. And he calls the place the face of God. In order to see the face of God, he needed to wrestle with God. And in order to see the face of God and receive the blessing, he needed to surrender fully. And finally the day has arrived. It is time now. The struggle is over, the stranger is gone, and Jacob is now walking. Chapter 33 verse 1 says, Now Jacob lifted his eyes, and look there. Esau was coming, and with him were 400 men. It is neat that in this story, at this point, it stops referring to Esau as Lord, as Master, as the face of his brother Esau. He calls him by his name. He says, Esau was coming. That's beautiful. But what happens? <laughs> Again, Jacob's reality reality checks in and his human nature goes forward and he begins to divide. <laughs> Is human. Look at one uh, chapter 1 verse, uh, the last part of it. So he divided the children among Leah, Rachel, and the two main servants. Isn't that interesting? He just saw the face of God. I mean, if that isn't an encouragement, what else could he ask for? But he does something better. He does something better because the Bible says that as he's going, he no longer stands in the back. He runs out in front of... Of the both groups that were walking. So something did click and he was encouraged because he runs out and he starts bowing down seven times before his brother Esau. Seven times he is bowing. He gets up, he gets down, he gets up and he gets down. And when Esau sees him, he is moved with compassion in the Middle East to run it's a very shameful thing it's actually forbidden for the male head of a house to run because in the middle east if you you had long robes and in order to run you have to lift up your robes and expose your legs which is a big no-no in that culture so he pulls up his his uh his robe and he runs to meet his brother esau but he didn't care about his dignity he didn't care about what people thought of them of him he cared about his brother Jacob that he hasn't seen for 20 long years. And he runs to him and he embraces him. And the Bible says that they wept together. There was, there was crying, loud crying. And I guarantee you there wasn't a single dry eye in that valley who knew the story between Jacob and Esau. And we don't know how long they stayed in that embrace. But all of their history, all of the bad blood kind of between them, you know, just came out through the tears. And after some time, Esau recognizes there's a bunch of animals around him, bleeding goats and and mooing cows and camels. What what are these, Jacob? What are you doing with these? He's like, they're yours. I want to give them to you. He says, look, keep your things. I have what I need. You keep what you have brought for yourself and here we come to the culmination of the story verse 10 chapter 33 verse 10 and jacob said no please if i have found favor in your sight then receive my present from my hand now i want you to read this very carefully because if when i read this everything just clicked It's so beautiful. Look what he says. Verse 10. For in as much as I have seen your face, as though I had seen the face of God. That's powerful. Jacob, just a few moments ago, the night before, saw the real face of God. And now, this face that he is looking at, the one who he was afraid of, looks like the face of God? How can that be? Because I think the characteristics that Jacob saw in the face of God, he now sees in the face of his brother. What did Jacob see in the face of God? He saw forgiveness, he saw grace, he saw mercy. He saw God's favor to him. And now he sees the human face of his brother. And he sees in his face that love, that mercy, that grace, and that favor. And as Jacob saw the very smile of God, he now sees it in the smiling face of his brother. What does that have to do with us today? We just went through this story. Let me ask you this very, very important question. When people see your face, what do they see? When people look at your face, what story are you telling them? In conclusion, I want to share with you a quick story about um a rabbi (laughs) famous rabbi who was teaching his his students and he asks them a very deep very philosophical question they love to be very deep think about everything they they do and he asks them students how do you know when night has gone when day has arrived, how do you know when darkness has disappeared and the light has come? well, the students kind of thought looked at each other they said well i don 't know uh, one of them kind of sheepishly put up his hand and he says, You know is it when from a distance you can tell the difference between a tree and a man he said no no that's that's not it another rab- uh, rabbinic student put up her hand, and she said, uh, Listen, I have an idea. Maybe when there's just enough light that you can tell the difference between a man and a woman in a distance. No, he said, that's not, that's not it. Well, is it... Another one kind of guessed, what well, is is it when you can tell the difference in the, in the morning light, the difference between a, a fig tree and an olive tree? Rabbi said, No, he wasn't satisfied. Well, so they asked the rabbi, Rabbi, tell us, please, tell us, how do you know when darkness has gone and the light has come? When the night has disappeared and the light is finally here? How do you know? Tell us, Rabbi. And the rabbi answered, Yes, the night is gone and the day is here and the darkness disappears and the light is present. Listen to this. This is deep. He says, when you can recognize in the face of your neighbor... The face of your brother. That's deep. Think about that for a second. He's not talking about literal light and darkness, is he? He says, when you can look upon your neighbor's face and see that they are your brother and sister. Elder Ross, thank you so much for your words this morning about... The folks down in Texas and Louisiana, they are our brothers and sisters. Think about what's going on in the states today with racism. They are our brothers and sisters. We're not better than them. Just because of the color of our skin, who makes us better than anybody else? Jesus died for us and Jesus died for them. And the rabbi gets it, he knows that we are one. We are brothers and sisters because God created us all and we have worth, essential worth in Him. And although this is an amazing story that the rabbi told, I believe that the story of Jacob, this inspired story that is in the Bible for us to read today, takes it one step further. And I want to close with this thought this morning. It tells us, the story of Jacob tells us that night is gone And day is here, that darkness has disappeared, and the light has come. When your neighbor, I want to get a little personal here, because I'm closing up this maybe the last time I see you, so I want to get really practical. When your neighbor, when your husband, when your wife, When your brothers and sisters, when your children, when your co-workers, when your students can recognize in your face the face of God. Let's bow our heads. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the message that you have given us this morning. I thank you, God, that your face is the face of someone who forgives us. A face of love and a face of grace and mercy even though at times we don't deserve it I pray God that for every person that is here in this sanctuary this morning that when our neighbors when our friends our family members our co-workers our colleagues when they look at our face may they see the face of God may they see that same love and that same acceptance And that same grace towards the brothers and sisters as you have towards us. And that you had towards Jacob so long ago. We pray that as we leave this place, you would dismiss us with your blessing. And I want to read a blessing that you gave us so long ago that fits the end of this time together. Which says, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. For I ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.